Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Yo, people, Anna David with After Party Pod. After Party Pod is a part of After Party Magazine, a website determined to change the face and get rid of the stigma around addiction and recovery. Now, After Party is a part of RehabReviews.com, the world's largest resource for treatment centers across the globe. You can go there to see if your rehab stay could be free. Go to RehabReviews.com slash benefits dash check. What else can you do there, you may ask? You can get a Recover Girl t-shirt. Just go to RehabReviews.com slash after dash party slash shop. Anyway, you'd know all of this if you were signed up for our newsletter. What are you doing? Go sign up. RehabReviews.com slash newsletter dash sign dash up. Now here's the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturdays. Hey, after party pod here. You know it. You downloaded it. Welcome to the show if you're new. Um, welcome to the show if you're not new. How do you feel about that intro that becomes before this intro. I, you know, I listen to every episode before it posts and I listen to that and I go, God damn it, that's annoying. But then I was thinking, you know, you kind of get used to it and it becomes like white noise. But if you hate it, tell me. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to get rid of it. I don't know that anybody's signing up for the newsletter or checking the banner ad um, as a result of hearing that. I could be wrong. Please tell me. I haven't been getting as many emails lately. I know you guys are busy and, and I am too which is why this intro is going to be, this whole episode is a little bit shorter than than normal. And, you know, speaking of listening to these episodes and kind of questioning them, I'm not going to go into any sort of, this is what's been going on with me a lot, because there's just not that much that's notable. I'm good, which is notable, I guess, Uh, it being the holiday season and me having a touch of self-diagnosed seasonal affective disorder, but, but everything feels really good. So, so, um, I'm just going to go right into telling you about my guest today. Her name is Vicki Abelson, and I have been hearing about her for years because she has a very, very popular literary salon where she has all sorts of people come and read. She's had um, Cindy Shupak from Sex and the City, who's amazing, and, and Jeff Garlin, and um, Ed Begley Jr., a whole bunch of people, and, um, and, and lots of people write about this salon, and she has been working on a book that is now out. So over the years, she was workshopping that book or reading sections of it, and, um, and now it is out, and you can get it. It is called Don't Jump, Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll, and My Fucking Mother. And it's available on Amazon. And it is a gritty yet hilarious tale of her, uh, well, it's a novel, so it's not her. It's about a, it's about a woman who, uh, you know, sort of, well, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and her fucking mother. So she gets into all of it, talks about starting off as a, as a, as a waitress in, in the 80s at this fabulous place and journey takes her through uh, being a rock promoter and a stand-up comedian and, and eventually a writer. And, you know, to get the rest of it, you got to go get that book. She also writes for The Fix and Huffington Post and is a wonderful woman. Uh, so that's pretty much all she's, she, you know, she's on, she's on the Twitter sphere. She's on the Facebook fear, sphere, word I just coined. Use it if you want. And, um, and go find her. This is Vicki Abelson. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh, my God. I think my copy has, like, blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton-y. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? 
so I'm starting this. And so, um, yeah, we're very casual around here. You can swear, you can say whatever you want. That's wonderful. I like to start it mid-sentence just to be casual. <laughs> so um, so uh, you just published your book, Don't Jump. Did. Don't jump. And then what's the second part of the title? Because I know it involves your fucking mother. So I'm glad I told you you, can't, you can swear. Thank goodness. I, I'm so, um, um, yeah. Being constrained and not being able to swear is a real problem for me. Well, yeah. not really. Not out in the world. I mean, I Your I mother. Do you, I I, do you have to control it in front of the kids? Um, my kids uh, grew up with me and they're so used to me. So, and, and in their defense... They're both brilliant and doing incredibly well. So I didn't damage them too much right. yet. I mean, I'm sure they'll end up in rooms someday, but that's another story. How old are they? Uh, my son is 21. My daughter's 17. So wow. he's graduating college and she's applying to colleges. Right, So right. we're going through all of that. Yeah. But yeah, the subtitle to my book is Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll, My Fucking Mother. And you worked on this book for a really long time because I, you have an insane amount of press on your site and there was press about it five years ago. Um, it, you were working on it and you were reading it. Well, yes, I've it. been reading it for a year. Okay. The actual work on it, I probably was writing for two or three years when I wrote the first draft. Mm -hmm. And then I submitted it to this very high-powered literary agent who was a friend who had asked for first read. And mm -hmm. she said, oh, either you have to name names or if you're going to write it as a novel, you have to structure it as a novel. And it wasn't. It was structured as a memoir. A memoir yeah. So she suggested I hire a memoir or take a class. And I was basically like, fuck you. I just wrote The Great American Now. What do you mean I have to do that? So it took me like a year to find an editor. And then I finally found an editor. And maybe we worked for another year on the revision. And then it kind of then it kind of sat while I tried to find an agent and do all of that. And, and then I had a little publishing deal. And I, anyway, I started... Um, women who write this mm -hmm. literary salon of mine just so I could start workshopping the book because I really wanted to turn it into a play. That was my initial goal when I started putting, I was going to say pen to paper, but I never put pen to paper because mm -hmm. I can't even read my own handwriting when I started typing. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, so I've been, I started reading the book and, and then as I was reading it, I would find things. So I would hone and revise. So I did a lot of revising over the years, but it was really done in 2006. It was pretty much finished and but then I went in and did a series of revisions since then but then it was a publishing deals would come and go agent came and went managers came and went and um then the stars just aligned and it was the right time with the mm -hmm. right people and mm -hmm. it finally happened that naming names thing I went through that with my first book where um I wouldn't do it mine was a novel mm -hmm. it was always written as a novel mm -hmm. and I think that's better I mean the reason I didn't want to do a memoir was mm -hmm. that I had read all the addiction memoirs and they always got really boring when the person got sober you know and although dry there there, there are some exceptions uh, I'm oh, you not a like fan dry. of that one yeah I like dry um but and and actually some of my favorite are housed as novels and they're actually memoirs that were thinly guised. What are some of your favorites? I'm trying to think of his name and I'm totally spacing, but it's a really famous author who's written a series of of, of novels and Jerry Stahl? No. Oh my god. And the, the, the it's when the character gets sober in New York, the 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 book that's my favorite of the series. And of I'll think of it at some character point. Character gets it, sober gonna, in New York. And this is gonna it, drive he's on me the crazy. subway, and uh, uh, is, he, is, is it? Are they detective stories? I can't even remember. I just oh, could it be you, Richard Ford? No, no. Okay, it, it, I'm totally blanking yeah, on it yeah, now. Yeah. But it's it's a it's a fabulous. It really depicted uh, the struggle to get sober because mm -hmm. he kept going out, and you know all of that reality of going out. And I just loved it. Although I didn't really go in and out once I made the commitment to to quit. But anyway. Um, uh, so yeah, naming names the book, and so then it it, it came out officially last month. Is it that came out October twenty seventh. Uh huh. And it's been beyond. It's like everything. I believe everything happens for a reason. I'm a fatalist, and mm -hmm. the stars had to align just like it, it had to be right now that this had to happen. Because mm -hmm. at any other time, I would not have gotten the response that I've gotten. Mm -hmm. I was at the right place in my career, in my life. I was ready for it. The right people were in my life to help facilitate it with me. Mm -hmm. um, the cover of the book is extraordinary. That would not have happened with anybody else. Mm -hmm. So just everything seemed to point it to now. And the response has been literally 
beyond my wildest dreams. I got another review yesterday that if I had to sit down and write the best possible review I could possibly write of my own book, it couldn't have been as good as that. Wow. I mean, it's just been, it's, it's been extraordinary. It's been extraordinary. And how long are you sober? I um, quit smoking pot, which was my drug of choice, mm -hmm. which was the one that really was taking me down. I just celebrated 15 years off pot, and um, I have 13 and a half, thank you, 13 and a half years sober. How about you? I just celebrated 15. Nice. Yeah, when's your, well, I know you don't probably count the pot, oh, you, I bet you know, I, you know the date. I do. Yeah. November 25th is my pot day. Mine's November 19th with the same that? sign, the same what? recovery sign, if you yeah. will. There you go. Well, um, no, because 19 Scorpio. Oh, look at you. Sagittarius. I kind of got a vibe. I was like, she's going to know about this stuff. I totally know what about sign this are you? stuff. I'm a Scorpio. How about you? Gemini. Uh, Oh, my, I know. my fucking mother's a Your fucking I, mother, you know. But no, my mother isn't a fucking mother. Just Andy's mother's a fucking mother. But Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. It's not your mother. It's not my mother. Protagonist. You know, when my, you know what I did? I, I sort of, I, I sort of did the same thing. My, my first book's a novel. Mm -hmm. My story. And What's I, it called? It's called Party Girl. Okay, I have to check this out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was 2004, I think it came out. And I, um... And I, you know, in all the press, you're supposed to be super coy. Like everyone's first novel is autobiographical. And you're supposed to be like, well, you know, she's a girl, a composite of lots of girls I know. <laughs> and I was like, it's me. Let me go and tell everybody. I didn't know. I didn't understand you were supposed to be really, you know, sort of shrouded. Well, yeah, everybody knows it's me. And actually what I say, originally the subtitle was, uh, it was just don't jump. And then it was going to say a fictionalized memoir. I swear to some of it. Yeah. And uh, that was what I was originally going to do. And, I, and the fucking mother thing, the whole reason why that happened is I was sitting in a Target parking lot and the book was just called Don't Jump. And I was going to do the fictionalized memoir, I swear to some of it. And um, somebody had challenged me that that wasn't funny enough to express my sense of humor, my mm -hmm. sensibility to give people. I wanted somehow people to look at the cover to hear the name and know that there was humor yeah, in there, I right? Yeah, totally get that. And Don't Jump doesn't say that, no. right? And so no matter what we were doing to the cover, we have a little bag of Cheetos on there. Nothing was really putting me out there. So somebody challenged me. So my publisher and I were on the phone. It was raining. I was sitting in my car and he said, well, what's the book about? And I, and I go, oh, a woman's quest to find her place and purpose amid sex, drugs, rock and roll, and celebrity. He goes, okay, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I said, well, we can't use that. Mm -hmm. That's like, oh my God, so overdone. There's a show coming on, the Dennis Leary show about to drop called that. No, no, no. He said, well, what's a fourth thing that you could take a left turn on that would just totally shock people? And I mean, without even taking a beat, I just, well, I guess I took a beat. <laughs> and the first thing that came out of my mouth was in my fucking mother. And it, there was silence. And we just both sat there and then we both just started laughing. And he said, oh no, you can't do that. And I said, no, I can't do that. And then I called another friend of mine who's a journalist and I said, can I do that? And he said, you have to do that. Mm -hmm. And it was really a struggle, you know, because mm -hmm. it was really throwing my mother under the bus, even though that wasn't the intention. And it's not what the book does, mm -mm. I hope, mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she's kind of, you know, been in acceptance about it and not so much at various times. Did she's she read been it? Good. She did read it and I got a letter that she was changing her will the next day. I don't know if it's related, but I'm saying... Really? Ah. I seriously... It's yeah. rough that... Um, yeah, my parents don't read my stuff, which is so liberating. My mother will read my Huffington Post articles and, you know, I'll get thousands of likes and all these comments and my mother's response will be, I just wish you would have used other language because yeah. there'll be one fuck in it or there'll be a shit or yeah. something. And then she Are you can't, Jew? Oh, so Jew. Yeah. yeah I don't so you Jew. think it's just like the Jewish mother? But my mother's like really hip and, you know, Mine forward too. thinking. But they still oh, can't. she's a Republican though. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's like a whole. And then there's you. And then there's me. We were talking Hillary right before we pressed record. <laughs> well, I, I started out when I was a kid. I was in the Progressive Labor Party and SDS. And, you know, I was a total maniac lefty lunatic you know marching on Washington when I was 13 wow know, yeah crazy stuff so yeah our politics were never in line and do you have siblings I have a brother mm -hmm. who um has said not said one word about my book before during after mm -hmm. Um, my family has not been in big support of my career mm -hmm. ever, as, even the comedy or any of it. Oh no, not support for that. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, 
that's not where uh, my kids are great about all that stuff. They don't want to read it. Yeah. I've, I've made it really clear that there's stuff in there they probably don't want to know. So they don't really read my stuff. They don't have interest, but they're very proud. They're mm-hmm. they're very supportive. I will tell you, and I just remembered this. One night I was doing an um, an event, like whatever, a month ago with the Real Recovery Film Festival, mm-hmm. and it was very underattended. And Leonard Bichel goes, well, I know him, yeah. He goes, well, that's because Vicki Abelson's book party is tonight. Oh my God! Isn't that like the acclaim to fame? You took our audience. <laughs> That's hysterical. Was it in the Valley? You're- it was. It was at um, the Federal, a bar uh-huh. um, in North Hollywood, and it was very well attended. Yeah, and it took- was fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny? fabulous. Yeah. yeah, you know a ton of people. That's always sort of been your your thing, right? Yes. Like good at at. Okay, and so it started. So where are you from? New York. You're from the city. You can't. I'm so excited that you had to ask me that question. You well, knew you were being polite. No, <laughs> but I mean, it could have been, you know, many places on the East Coast. Mm, I'm so New York. So, okay. And you worked at, it was Maxwell Plum. Is that the? Oh, I didn't say that. You didn't, but, but it was in other interviews. Was it? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. That's, um, it, that's okay to let out. Yeah, I, think. I mean, yeah, it is. Um, yes, I worked at Maxwell's Plum for years, but like when it was in its heyday and yeah. stuff. Yeah, is it gone? Long gone. Yeah. Long gone. In fact, every place I worked is like kind of closed like soon after I left. I wonder what that means. Well, I've had two therapists quit on me. Like <laughs> quit the profession. <laughs> Retire at like 35. I'm going to therapy when I leave here, by the way. I cannot wait. My well, favorite this, time of the week. Yeah, This is, you know, people will say a bit therapeutic to do this first. So that's good. I had someone, there's a therapist in this building and I had someone who did the podcast and then went in the building to therapy. So, <laughs> but um, do, are you, are you a lifelong therapist? Person. You know, no. Well, I get. You know, I say no. I've d- d- done it sporadically, but I've done it sporadically a lot for a long time. Yeah. I, I used to use it just when I would have an issue. You know, I went first about my mother and I. That mm-hmm. started me in therapy. Then I went over a boyfriend I was trying to get away from. Then a future husband who we were trying to navigate getting married. Then when our marriage started to crumble mm-hmm. and. Uh, as I was getting divorced, um, we got into couples therapy and I just stayed with her because I don't ever want to not have her in my life. It's like my favorite time of the week. This one I've been with for um, about seven years, Mm -hmm. six, seven years, and I just adore her. And she's so smart Mm -hmm. and she's just a tremendously, uh, she's the most, wise person i know she just knows why of mm-hmm. everything and it's oh and she's always right mm-hmm. more than anyone i've ever met i have a really wise sponsor mm-hmm. i can say that I can say that word um, i'm telling you it's a no, safe I, space i know yeah. i get it you and know that's a word i can use because that could be i could have a sponsor a, a spiritual sponsor yeah a spiritual spot it could be anything food you know yeah I have and I do life coach he, he, and he does sponsor me in everything in life he's also my stylist actually he's also a he <laughs> interestingly but he's gay yeah so that makes it safe yeah 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 of course and and I know people and I did sponsor a gay guy for a minute um god he was great um okay um so we'll okay moving on um you um worked there you were in your 20s when you were working at Maxwell's Plum I was just out of college I was just I was like 22 uh-huh um I did theater for a year after college so yeah I was yeah I was I was like 22 and I stayed for a long time because I was an actress mm-hmm. and um yeah I did a lot of acting I did like three Saturday Night Lives where if you blinked, you know, I was gone. And, uh, but it looked like, I, I mean, I got, I filmed a lot more than that, but that yeah. was what was ended up there. And um, I did a bunch of st- NYU student films and stuff like that. I never, but uh, my ambition sort of went up in smoke. I was smoking a lot of dope. I was, um, nobody gets treated better at restaurants than waiters. And so I was a waiter oh, and a yeah. captain. And so I worked in a really nice place. And so we would, me and all the gay boys would go to like the best restaurants in New York and be treated like royalty. Because they all came into your place? It's just sort of um, a courtesy, an ex- a, a professional courtesy. It's sort of, um, I became a rock and roll promoter after that. Mm-hmm. And so 
that courtesy was any club I ever went in, yeah. you know, treated great, you know, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's sort of a quid pro quo, but even if it's not, even if you're not going to each other's thing, it's just a professional respect. Yeah. Plus you tip the best. And we tip the best. Yeah. Yeah. We know how to treat, we know how to eat, we knew how to drink, we knew how to tip. tip. Yeah. yeah. I was a cocktail waitress for a month and I was, I was in that and like, mm-hmm. you have all this like cash cause you're always getting tipped. It Well, back then there was like the money was crazy i used yeah. to go i got a gold watch i got first class air tickets i mean maxwell's was a very cool place yeah, yeah yeah what so and and so when did you first smoke pot 13 mm-hmm. um i had an old my have an older brother and so he had it um i didn't smoke with him the first time i just learned about it from him mm-hmm. and then i went and smoked with his friends mm-hmm. and that first high. I mean, we, we hear tell of it all the time, but that first high was the most amazing high I've ever had. I mean, I, I literally, I remember this. I laid on a couch and I put my arm up and I must have laid like that for hours with my arm. I have no idea what my arm was doing up in the air, but it right. was just up in the air. Right. And it just felt so right. Yeah. And so good. And I don't know that I chased that high forever because I had many good highs mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. Many, many, many. I love pot and it was fun. Um, so yeah, I started really, really young. I don't think that's that young. Thirteen? No. Um, maybe not. Average. You know, I don't know. Maybe by today's standards, but back then, mm-hmm. very few kids I knew were smoking pot. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was one of the bad. You know, we, yeah. we were the bad girls. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew what we were doing, mm-hmm. but we were doing it mm-hmm. all the time. And um, and then throughout those years in New York, you were you like just smoking pot? Were you oh. drinking all of that? You know, drinking was never my drug of choice. I could never understand the calories. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like a waste to me. So. Didn't you munch on when you were high? Though? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I, I've gained five pounds in a week since Thanksgiving. Oh so God, I'm, like, me too. I have like you. You're like, I no. like to lose twelve pounds. I I just said to my girlfriend, the only way I'm going to lose twelve pounds is cutting off my arm. But I like have to do it like this week. I'm but like over no, myself. No, but this week it's some. No, I no, I sort of yeah. given up till the end of the year. It's no, just I'm, I can't. I refuse. I refuse to let this carry over to. No, it's this will not happen. It's just so. I have, hard. I'm cleaning up now. <laughs> I'm determined. But I'm going to lemonade for lunch. Um, I love that place. Uh, yeah, you got a fun little day here. Therapy, lemonade, I'm right? You, it's fabulous. You got a fun life, I, I and this do. is a good time with the book and this everything. This is a great time. It's a great. I have Sylvester. St- I, no, not Sylvester. I have Frank Stallone singing in my living room in in two weeks from yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael O'Keefe will be reading. I mean, you know, I, yeah, my life is. I had Cloris Leachman two weeks ago. I mean, my life is incredible. It's extraordinary, but it's also with all of that fun stuff, as you know, comes a lot of stress. And yeah, a lot of bullshit and a lot of you know, and and maneuvering it sober, without that cushion, um, with. Although, I don't mean that because life is easier sober. Okay, I was just going to ask you because I I find, uh, particularly this in this past year, um, how difficult it's gotten not staying sober, but just the awareness around life challenges life challenges suck and they don't get easier and i've had more difficult days in sobriety than i ever had when i was using really yeah i think so i mean i've had some really rough times my divorce was rough um i've had getting the book published there were a a couple of really really challenging months um there have been some big life challenges but I have tools. Mm-hmm. I have tools, and so no matter. And I have a support network, mm-hmm. and I use it. And I the biggest thing is that I ask for help, mm-hmm. which is something I never did when I was using. Mm-hmm. When I was using, I had, I got it, I got it. No, I got it. I don't. I would never think to do that anymore. I don't got shit. I, you know, without my people, without without my path, without my recovery, I'm. I have nothing. I mean, that's everything. What's the last thing you asked for help with? Like when you called and made an outreach call? Maybe it was on I the way I asked for help last night. Uh-huh. Um, my manager is making a call for me today. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you, but I have found that a lot when people don't want to do something, they just don't respond. Yeah, like, it's, it's like the Hollywood just, sort of. Just don't respond. I don't understand this way know, of being. And I, I really find that men are more, from in my experience, yeah, it happens true. far more with men. Women, 
respond. Even if it's no is a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. I find, I really find, I mean, there are women who are exceptions to that rule, but I find men personally in business, in everything, um, when they don't want to answer, when they don't want to do something, they just disappear. Delete the email. They just don't, they just don't respond, whether a call, a text, um, an email. And so I'm kind of sicking my manager on somebody today to see if he can get a response because I think men to men don't do that as mm-hmm, much. Mm-hmm. I think there there's more intimidation factor there or something. I don't know what. It's amazing though this this sort of fade out as a as a technique. You know the ghosting, the professional ghosting that I goes so on. I so don't appreciate it. Say no is a complete sentence. You don't have to tell me why. You don't have to give me the story. See the thing is, I think I've acclimated it to the point. I part of me appreciates it. It's like like okay, so like in dating, would you rather be told, you know what? No. I just you'd rather be told no. I no. I'd rather it just go away. Exactly. I, there, I there. There's one place where I think it's better to just let it go away. Yeah. And I do the same thing. I mean, I yeah. don't respond. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah. or just lie. This is. I was just saying this. No, is I like, shouldn't. I. I do, if somebody asks me a direct question, I do respond. Yeah. But I mean, if on the I'm on the dating sites, which I never was in my life. Are you doing the cool. Are you doing the online ones? Oh I mean, are you doing the, the app ones? Oh yeah, I have one in one. And they're they're horrible. They're but evil. They're so I've re- I've got a great Huffington Post out of it though. It's called Cupid is Stupid. It's fabulous. Okay, but I want to read it. I find that it, I don't respond to anybody I'm not interested in because yeah. I think it's better to just not even start that conversation. But you click. Oh oh yeah, on the I online things. Yeah yeah yeah. I just yeah, don't even better. start the conversation. I just yeah. let, let it go. But if, once I'm having a conversation, but and I think people sense when it's time to like just walk away. Um, I found that that's pretty. Sometimes they do. Sometimes. And when they don't, um, yeah, I, I, I can fade away in those situations. Yeah. I um, I had a person who, I was just telling this story to somebody in a dating thing who like emailed me and was like, I just didn't feel a connection. And it's just sort of like, why didn't you just say you're not over your ex? No. Yes. I no. mean, it was a couple of years ago and I still have that little resentment about it. So, one guy said that. One guy I met at a, at a bar at a bar, yeah. you know, because actually I started saying they would, I, I would say I'm sober and they'd mm-hmm. say, okay, where do you want to go? Coffee. And I was like, I hate coffee. Go. I went to my, my first week of online dating. I went to the same Starbucks like five times. Oh, yeah, five yeah, different yeah, guys. No. And it was horrible. It's like yeah. mommies are there and kids who wants yeah, yeah. to be in a Starbucks? No. Not sexy. No. So I said, I'd much rather go to a bar. Me too. Yeah. Right. So I started meeting guys at bars. Yeah. That sounds like so Mr. Good Bar. Not like that. But anyway, so I met this guy at a bar and we, he was physically, I knew before I went, yeah. he wasn't the right kind yeah. of guy. But we laughed and I thought, you know, maybe I'll get a friend out of this. Yeah. We had so much fun. And I get a note from him the next day, you know, I just didn't feel it. And I was like, yeah. what? I know. I mean, like, why wouldn't you want to be friends? That makes no sense to me. We had so much fun. We laughed for two hours. Yeah. 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 And how mean. Ew. I know. I know. But it is true with work stuff. It's, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's like, it's just enraged. It just triggers that powerlessness too because, oh my God. you know, and then it triggers, you know, I had tons of insecurity and ego stuff that I've worked on a ton, but oh, oh yeah. my God, can you damage it with, with things my like that? My super won't get, my, my landlord won't get back to me about super, my body. You don't live in New York anymore. I know, I know. I can't even believe I said that word. I'm sick. I'm 60. I'm 60. I just turned 60. Fantastic. Mind blowing. What was that like? <laughs> it was the same day as my book launch. I made it a joint party. That's smart. Yeah, yeah, joint. yeah. See that comes up. All yeah, the time. Um, that day was fantastic. Um, I am, I am in awareness and denial at the same time. Yeah, it does. It's so not real to me. Yeah, it's so not who I am, how I live my life. Yeah, that, how you look. Well, thank you. Well, the, I mean, obviously, it just it makes no sense to me. Yeah, it yeah. makes. I, I can't even wrap my head around it. It no sense. I mean, I look in the mirror and I live a life that to me is no different than who I was when I was 35, 40 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm still that girl. Mm-hmm. I don't look like that girl anymore. I have issues that are not that girl's look, but but that's who I am. That's where I stayed. I think we get kind of frozen in places. Mm-hmm. My father kind of got frozen in the 60s. He stayed in white pants and like mm-hmm. medallions till, till the end. So I think we kind of get frozen places and I think the 80s really worked for me <laughs> and I kind of am frozen there. 
but um that's a great line the 80s the 80s did work for you huh they so worked for me what um yeah because with you know aging which we are all dealing with in our own ways it's it's been surprising to me the birthdays that i think are going to be the traumatic ones aren't i'm looking at you and i'm saying like 33 and we're not talking about it i it's it's all over the it's not all over the internet it's on the internet and i and i um but i i hate saying it out loud don't I can't. Well, um, that, but I can't relate to that at all. But that, that's that's crazy. But, that's ridiculous. But it's interesting. Just um, you know, and even when I talk about the last you know year being difficult, I think a lot of it it's not coming to terms with mortality. I'm okay with that. It's mm-hmm. just coming to terms with aging, which I think is different. You know, if as a woman, what comes along with it that whole M thing. I, I was actually in yeah. Henry Jaglum's movie called The M Word, and it's that word, that M word. But that whole thing is so trippy. Yeah. And um, the process is nasty. But w- interestingly, getting to the other side of it, yeah, it. I know it sounds like total cliche, but it's the sexiest time of my life. Really? Which is crazy. What do you mean? I... I am so much more in touch with my sexuality and so much more comfortable with it than I've ever been in my life. And um, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> that's amazing to hear. Yeah. But, uh, After your and, 80s. And, and, and I mean, I've gone through long dry spells as they were not that kind of dry, but nothing yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I went through a long time post-separation uh, se- and stuff where... Yeah, I wasn't dating. I was, things were just a dis- one disaster after another. And also, in, uh, my next book is actually going to be called Sex and the Sober Girl. And That's I've great. been, um, me, I owe the fix an article like for like a year already. I'm so behind. And I wanted to write it for Modern Love as well. And now it's turning into a book and maybe a television series. But um, I wasn't sure what my problem was, why I was having trouble connecting intimately with men. And I I blamed it on my sobriety for Mm -hmm. a really long time. Um, I thought I didn't, because I had never had sex sober. For how long? My whole life. I'd always been sober. Oh, right, before you had sober. I'd never had sober sex, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, in the morning. Not really. Okay. No, because there was a joint on the bed. Okay. Yeah. You know, so now, I mean, there were, there were times, yeah, there were times. Yeah, yeah, I'm, but I get overall, it. overall, I mean, I was still in a haze of smoke, even if I wasn't smoking yeah. at that moment. Yeah. And even when I was pregnant, not smoking, I still considered myself a stoned person, mm-hmm. just basically. But in stone cold sobriety, um, yeah, I thought that that was the reason that I wasn't feeling sexual. And, and no, it wasn't that I wasn't feeling sexual. It was that I couldn't be... Resp- like, a guy would start to come near me, and I would start to get all, like, in my head. I mm-hmm. couldn't turn off my head. And I thought, I have to be stoned to turn mm-hmm. off my head. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was that for a really long time. And it wasn't until I was finally with a right guy that I realized it wasn't... Then I started blaming it on the change and mm-hmm. menopause. And, oh, my God, it's... I'm uptight about my body and I don't want anybody to, you know, this isn't what it used to be and this is doing this. And and it wasn't until I was finally with the right guy, who isn't the right guy, but he was the right guy for this, right. that I realized that it had nothing to do with any of that. Mm-hmm. It was just there wasn't the right guy. Mm-hmm. Because once I was with the right guy, nothing else mattered. I was prancing around naked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was so uninhibited and it was just, I didn't care about my body. I didn't care about that I was straight. None of it mattered. Mm -hmm. And then once that door unlocked, it was unlocked for good. Mm -hmm. Not 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 that anything is happening, right? But the potential for it's there. Hey, next next bar date. I don't think I went on two of the worst dates of my life this week. No, oh god. Yeah, they they can be brutal. Oh god. I know. I know. It's too bad the process isn't the process that married people think it is. I wish I could date. No, you know. Um, yeah, I don't miss it. I don't know if it's L.A. I don't. I don't know what what it. I think things are tougher now than they used to be. And I'm out in the road. I was going to say because we're on our computers. I'm on my computer all day, all night. My work is on it. My social life is on. I mean, I'm Facebooking all the time for work, for play. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I I blame it on that. Okay, I'm, but I know I'm out in the real world a lot mm-hmm. for events and things. I haven't met somebody across the crowd a crowded room. It's happened to me once in the last six years that I've been single. Mm-hmm. Once. Mm-hmm. I, it happened in real life. 
it doesn't happen. Why do, that that stuff used to happen all you know that that's the way it used to be, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't have those experiences. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's me, but it seems to be something that I talk to a lot of some women don't seem to have this problem, but for me it doesn't happen that way. Well, what do you think to this idea of and this was a major struggle for me this like surrendering our romantic life, you know, to a higher power and and going, "Oh, okay, so that's not happening and that's cuz it's not meant to be happening right now." You know, I too think everything happens for a reason mm-hmm. and the way it's meant to and all of that. What do you think of that idea? You know, that's where I was for a long time. Um okay, this just isn't my time. And I, one of my closest friends in the world is an, a renowned astrologer, a world-renowned astrologer. And she would, you know, say, okay, this could happen then, this would happen this, you know, and we kept pushing back the date. We kept pushing because it wasn't happening, it wasn't happening, it wasn't happening. And I kind of resigned myself to the fact that I realized that I needed to get my career going, I needed to get my book out, I needed to get my kids mm-hmm. to... I gave it a lot of reasons why it wasn't happening. And I do believe there are no accidents. And I do believe that when, that I've been single this long for a reason, I just shared the other day that because nothing's been going on in my my romantic life for so long that when I finally fall in love, it's going to be the best love ever that anybody's ever had because I've waited so long for it. Right. So I kind of think that that's on tap. I Mm -hmm. I have hope that that's on tap, that, I'm being saved for being in the right place in my life, the right time, when it's, and then with the right person. Yeah. I mean, you know, I do think, and again, this was like what I was talking about, like the sort of struggle in long-term sobriety is that, is that, you know, third step about everything else. You know, that, that third step that many of us were able to do so perfectly. Not that we did it perfectly. I didn't, I don't do anything perfectly. But that... I don't know about your desire to smoke pot if it got removed, you know? Oh, a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It's, if someone would have told me, I used to think people were lying when they said they had years of sobriety. I I really thought they were lying. I thought it was absolutely, or they didn't like pot the way I like pot. Yeah. Because there was absolutely no way. I didn't like pot the way you like pot, by the way, I hate it. But but the other potheads around me, I did not believe that they could possibly have years of sobriety and stay away from it. So the fact that the desire has been removed, I think if you eliminate anything, we can lose our desire for it. So, I mean, if I take carb- carbs out of my diet and I really don't have them, I will stop craving them. Mm-hmm. If I was, it hasn't held true with sex, mm-hmm. thank God. But mm-hmm. I know with some people, a lot of people say they, when they stop having sex, they lose their passion for it mm, I, that's awful it's it is awful that never happened to me but i've heard it could happen um i hope it never happens um but where are we going but do you so do you not credit that with a sort of spiritual do you, do you just credit it with oh i don't have the desire because i stopped doing it no i totally credit my higher power i believe that um this path that i'm on and that i'm directed to I think there are no mistakes and there are no accidents. When I make what seems like a mistake, when I make a bad choice, I think it's because I'm intended to because that's the only way I'm going to learn that lesson. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I have to make that same mistake, not three times. Sometimes I have to make it 30 times, 50 times, 100 times till I learn that lesson. It's going to take, I'm going to have to do what I have to do. So I make a lot of missteps. Mm -hmm. I make, I do things, I don't regret them. I try never to regret them because I always know they're moving me forward. Mm -hmm. I could never have anticipated that my life would be where it is. A year ago, if somebody told me that I would be here today, I never would have believed them. Mm -hmm. So it seems to always be that way. Mm -hmm. So I can, in good moments, let go of those romantic ideals and trust that I'm on a journey, I'm on a path, Mm -hmm. and it's going exactly as it's meant to go. Mm -hmm. So even... Oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that to him. Maybe it would have. No, mm-hmm. that's not the guy. Mm-hmm. That's not the thing. Mm-hmm. It's, or at least it's not now. Mm-hmm. I do ultimately believe that. I can't believe God's plan for me is to be alone. Right. I don't believe that. Right. I choose not to believe that. Right. Right. And I don't believe it. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's love somewhere. I yeah. just, I'd really like him to hurry the fuck up. And I know. It I'm, doesn't, nothing seems to happen on our time, you know? No. It doesn't. 
what and so and so the the you know I do want to get to what the the moment you got sober did you did how did that happen how did that come about you know for me um, I got sober I got pregnant three times mm-hmm. I lost my first um, baby um, I had a miscarriage which is in the the story mm-hmm. is in the book it's a pretty harsh story I don't want to tell too much about it now but um, I smoked pot when I was six weeks pregnant and found out um, a month later that um, I was losing the baby and it was pointed to that day when they did the Mm. sonogram and did I kill my baby? Well, in the book I say that I did. Andy says she did and there's a part of me that believes I did. There's another part of me that says, wait a minute, there are women that shoot heroin when they're pregnant Mm -hmm. that do far worse Mm -hmm. than one day smoking pot. So I don't know, but um, that didn't get me to stop. Um, But each time I got pregnant, I would stop and I would be sober through pregnancy and nursing and nursed my son for like 14 months because I knew as soon as I stopped, I was going to be smoking mm-hmm. again. And sure enough, the day I stopped nursing him, I smoked and I was off to the races. Mm-hmm. I was smoking 24-7 again. So when my daughter was very young, like less than two years old, um, the 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 story was my father had come to visit um, for Thanksgiving. And at the time, we had a one-bedroom apartment and you had to walk past our bedroom to get to the bathroom. And mm-hmm. my husband my husband at the time and I were smoking and we had it was like two in the morning and we had the windows open we were in a New York apartment we were standing on the furnace we had our heads out the window we had rolled up a towel under the door we had sprayed Lysol we had our heads out the window we were standing on the furnace and then I heard the toilet flush and in the morning my father asked about the smell and I blamed it on my husband like Mm -hmm. any good addict and the next year when he was coming or maybe it was two years later at some point he was coming to visit us again for Thanksgiving and it was like right before Thanksgiving November 25th Mm -hmm. and um, I said I can't do this anymore I'm a grown woman I'm 45 years old I'm standing on a fucking furnace with my head out the window rolling up a towel doing the visine doing the lysol right what this this is mad and it was just it was not a big dramatic bottom it was just I'd had enough Mm -hmm. it was just time for Mm me and um I quit with self-righteous indignation. I had no program. I had I didn't go to meet. I didn't do anything. I just couldn't take it. Mm-hmm. And things, I have recovery in my life since then. But mm-hmm. I spent nine months in hell on my wow. own, just self-righteously indignating that I was not going to smoke pot. How did you stay away from it? It was not easy because my husband was still smoking mm-hmm. and there was pot in the house and I was flushing shit, tons of shit down. I was throwing everything away I could find. Um... I was just so angry. Mm-hmm. I, I was a very angry, and I wasn't sober because I continued to have an occasional cocktail mm-hmm. because I wasn't a loser like the rest of yeah. you people, right? What got you so desperate that you were willing to embrace this loserdom of actual recovery? Um, what happened was I started going to um, to places where people were talking about yeah. what was going on. And um, I would listen to their stories, and they resonated with me. And um, they were all completely sober. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, why should I do that? I and I realized that I couldn't. I was told that I couldn't be high and sober at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then somebody challenged me, and they said, "Well, if liquor isn't a problem for you, why don't you try not drinking it for a month?" Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a good answer. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay. And then a month, one, you know, once I got past the first month, then it was like, okay, I can do this mm-hmm. one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of one days at a time. And how is your life different now? Oh, my God. I never said the word. I'm, I, the words, I'm sorry, I don't think ever in my life. Mm-hmm. I never owned my shit. I lied. I cheated. I stole. I did not in any grand way, but... Um, I wore sunglasses a lot. Mm-hmm. I didn't look people in the eyes very much. I had a lot of shame. I did not sleep well. Mm-hmm. I um, I didn't like myself mm-hmm. at all. Um, being sober and in recovery has given me back some self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Not given me back. I probably never had it. Mm-hmm. Um, has given me... Um, some self-esteem has granted me um, a modicum of humility, mm-hmm. um, an appreciation uh, of honesty and integrity and 
um, authenticity, mm-hmm. um, I would not consider. I was going to say I wouldn't consider lying, but like in the case of not telling somebody that I don't like them and I don't want to go out with them. I don't think that's a lie. I, I think that's um, being kind. Yeah. So if I don't, if I'm not complete, I'm <laughs> part of my recovery is not keeping secrets, right? Mm-hmm. We're only sick as our secrets. I take that too. I must tell everybody everything. And mm-hmm. I had somebody say to me at one point, you don't have to tell every, you only have to tell one person. You don't tell every, but I tend to tell everybody every, like, yeah, yeah. I'm so forthcoming on Facebook, on the Huffington Post and my book, you know, I'm like, blah. But what I don't tell, or if I do bend the truth a little, it's out of kindness. Mm-hmm. I don't do it. I don't do it to save myself. It never saves me mm-hmm. to not be forthcoming, to not tell the truth. Are there things you've revealed that you regret revealing? No, mm-hmm. no, no. I'm an open book. Mm-hmm. That was a working title for my book at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no regrets about being out there at all. In fact, somebody is constantly trying to censor me. I'm very out there. My language is as it is with you here. Mm-hmm. You know, fuck is just part of what I, my vernacular. It's what mm-hmm. I say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great word. It says a lot quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it on Facebook. I was one of the first people to use it openly on Facebook years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's in my book. Mm-hmm. It's in my Huffington Post articles. At first, they used to put asterisks mm-hmm. in my articles. They don't bother to do that with mm-hmm. me anymore. Um, but there's a director that I, I worked for, and he gets on my Facebook. Just the other day, he got on there again, again, and he said, he gave me the most unbelievable review for my book, which has fuck in the title. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was like, Vicky, you really don't have to prove anything anymore. You don't have to use these ridiculous words and this foul. I wrote a whole article about it for the Huffington Post a few years ago called My Language, What It Says About Me and What It Doesn't. And in response to him and he's still trying to censor me mm-hmm. not gonna happen mm-hmm. you're not nobody's gonna stop me nobody's mm-hmm. gonna stop me mm-hmm. not gonna happen do you delete those comments when they're there you, you know the up? first time he did it and somebody else who's working with me backed him up i deleted both of their comments Ugh. i'm not not so much working with me anymore yeah um i um and this one I let stand and somebody, and I was going to go defend it because that's the addict in me. I need to defend myself. And I didn't. Mm-hmm. And somebody else did it for me. Mm-hmm. Someone else said the reason that, please don't stop. The reason why I'm here is because of you tell, you know, mm-hmm. because of the way you tell it. So thank you. You know, um, something you just said reminded me, you know, and this is something that I've so slowly begun to, uh, you know, incorporate into my life, this idea that um, losing a fight is winning, that the way you're going to feel the best is, you know, because I'm someone, if somebody gets angry at me, you know, sort of irrationally, and they say self-righteous anger is the dubious luxury of normal men, um, you know, it's the worst when I'm right and I'm being wronged. And if I can, you know, and I don't respond by crying or whatever it is, I respond by getting angry back, which Mm -hmm. is, that's what they want. Yeah. And then you're in it, you know, to really just sort of go, oh, okay. And just answer is like, I'm sorry, or, you know, or whatever, whatever, you know, I, I, where are you on that? Doing the right thing is so much more important than being right. Yeah. That took me a really long time to learn and a lot of recovery to get to that place where I could really embrace that. Mm -hmm. And still I struggle with it because I still want to be right. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, the the way to get my pants off is to tell me I'm right. Mm -hmm. It's quicker than agree with me. Tell me I'm smart. Tell me I'm right. That's Mm -hmm. the hottest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So being being wronged when I'm right, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm going to use that. That's fabulous. Um, being wronged when I'm right is still really tough for me mm-hmm. and a challenge. And for me, the secret of that is a, is a recovery tool of taking the pause. Yeah, it's oh, all that about pause. Though it's the pause so rough. Is so, and I'm such a reactionary. I'm yeah. a Scorpio. I'm like, and uh, you know, wronging a Scorpio. Oh my God, you right? Know, the stinger, the whole. But for me, that pause is everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I can st- I can respond to that email. I just can't hit send. Yeah. I can I can call pick up the phone and call somebody. I can stamp in my feet. I can scream and yell. I just have to keep it to myself. Yeah. Or to somebody safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's um. 
It's it's so hard. Um, you know, a, a good tool that somebody taught me too when someone's sort of ranting at you and they really want you to fight with them is, um, you know, you may be right. <laughs> it totally wow. shuts them down yes, that's because excellent. they think you're going to do excellent. the opposite. Are you writing yeah. it down? No, um, I'm, I'm looking for my water. No, that's excellent. I love it. You, yeah, take it. Take it and run with it. Okay, so we, we have to start wrapping up. Um, so final... Um, anything would you like to say to people out there who are struggling who are thinking about getting sober you know i never thought i could enjoy life without getting high sobriety did not appeal to me at all yeah and i have to say that as a sober woman i have laughed more been more creative. All the things I swore would never, I'd never be able to do if I wasn't stoned. The stuff I wrote when I was created, when I was fucked up, I thought was brilliant yeah. at the time. It yeah. all sucks. Yeah. Um, I've been more creative. I've been sexier. I've been funnier. I enjoy other people's humor, other people's sex. I mean, my life is so improved that it's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And the best part is that when problems do happen, I don't have to run under the covers, which mm -hmm. was my response before. Mm -hmm. Now I can get my, get to the other side mm -hmm. so much quicker with so much more grace. With um, it, Life is easier to maneuver sober. Mm -hmm. It just is. Mm -hmm. And no matter what I was telling people and justifying that being stoned was great, it wasn't great. It stopped being fun long before I stopped doing it. Mm -hmm. um, that self-loathing is gone. I go to bed at night and I have a clear conscience because I've cleared, I've done my, I don't even do a daily inventory. It's like something comes up and I fuck up. I apologize on the spot. Oh mm -hmm. my God, mm -hmm. how freeing is that? No chips on my shoulder, mm -hmm. no weights of bad behavior following me around it's and i misbehave all the time don't get me wrong i don't live this life perfectly by a long shot i make mistakes every day i just apologize for them mm -hmm. and write them write my behavior change mm -hmm. my behavior mm -hmm. and that's the most freeing and wonderful gift of sobriety for me and where can people find your book Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, it's called Don't Jump, Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll, and My Fucking Mother. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm Vicki Abelson, A-B-E-L-S-O-N, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and would love to to chat. I'd write. And how text. can people find out about your salon? Um, it's called Vicki Abelson's Women Who Write. Mm -hmm. And I have an, a website, uh, again, V-I-C-K-I-A-B-E-L-S-O-N.com. Mm -hmm. And Women Who Write is on there. My book's on there. I'm on there. Come find me. Contact me. Write to me. If you're trying to get sober, hey, please get in touch. I'm happy to talk at any time. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, so that was Vicki Abelson. This is After Party Pod. Uh, thank you for listening. You know, you've been writing some really nice reviews. I don't know about you, you the person listening to this right now, if you did. But if you didn't, go do it. If you did, God bless you. See you next time.